Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here. Does anyone else wish they had like a little bit of Gabby's energy just to get through the week? Put that on tap. We are starting a new series called Idols, and um, I'm really excited for this series. When we were in uh, Thailand in 2017, we took a, a team from our youth ministry, so like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, um, a whole bunch of people overseas, and one of the things that, you know, stood out to me straight away, we were walking through the streets of Chiang Mai, and you walk into a restaurant or a home, and there's little trinkets and idols everywhere you go. Every, every, every space you go into, there's idols everywhere. And I remember looking at that as a, however old I was, 20-something, just thinking, how ridiculous is that? How, like, how pre-modern that you would have a little idol that you would... Uh, bring a sacrifice to and make sure they had food and all that sort of stuff. But I've realized uh, over the years that we've all got little trinkets and idols. It just looks different for each of us. You know, our bank accounts can be a trinket, our phones, our, um, our Instagram accounts, our wardrobes, our mirrors, the way that we dress, the people in our world can all become idols, trinkets that hold us. And idols are not just a, a pre-modern thing. Idols are a, a human thing. There's a story of a country's founding, and this country was, this, these people were a desert-dwelling people in the Middle East. They had just been freed from an evil regime, a dictator, and their leader, a guy called Moses, was um, leading them in forming like this new country. They were slaves. They had been slaves for 400 years. And the story goes that Moses goes up onto a mountain and he has this encounter with God, this like, this, this moment with God. And God gives him, written on a tablet, on a stone tablet, not an iPad, a, a tablet, the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other commands as well. And these documents, these like founding documents of this country of Israel, it's like the Constitution of Israel, are perhaps some of the most influential documents the world has ever known. Um, they have formed the ethic of almost every country uh, since then, always forming back to these ideas. The idea that, you know, you wouldn't murder or steal or commit adultery was actually a huge leap in human ethic. The idea that the weak should be cared for. The idea that um, uh, taking a day of rest for, for people that had been slaves all their lives to have a day off, a Sabbath, was revolutionary. And so Moses is coming down from the mountain and he comes to Israel, the people, he gathers them around and he starts reading out these Ten Commandments. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols. You shall keep the Sabbath holy. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And the people are like, yes, this is awesome, we're on board. No, no stealing, no murder, no idols, got it. And then Moses goes back up onto the mountain to meet with God. 
And the people get restless because he's gone for too long. And they're like, I have, let's, let's do something. Let's do something awesome. This is a picture of this. We're going to take our golden earrings and bangles and we're going to melt them down and we're going to make an idol. A golden calf is going to be sick. It's going to be the best thing. And we're going we're gonna to worship it. It's going to be so good. Moses comes down. He's like, what the heck are you guys doing? Like, we just, we just talked about this, right? We had this conversation like a couple of days ago. But I reckon it's a, it's a beautiful picture, an incredible picture of the human condition. That even though this new country had been freed from an evil regime, they were factory slaves, basically. They've been invited into this like incredible new way of living, an alternate way, a new human ethic, a relationship with God. Like this was like insane at the time. And, and they would be part of um, shaping the world to come. And yet a couple of days after signing up to this founding document, they go and they make an idol. And I think it's something that we do all the time. This idol series, we've been planning it for a long time, I think is super important because it comes down to what our vision of the good life is. We all choose to follow something, to chase something, to orient our lives around something. That's what an idol is. It's the the thing that we give our worship to. What am I chasing? What am I putting my focus on? We are aiming creatures. We look at something and we walk towards it. Like, that's how we operate as humans. We pick something out, we pick a goal, we pick something to to work towards, and we walk towards it. Um, Idols idols in our lives are often good things. Tim Keller has this wonderful quote. He says, idols are just good things that we've made ultimate things. And so often we think about idols as being like evil things or whatever, and I, I guess sometimes they can be, but more often than not, they are just good things that we've made ultimate things. And so we're going to look at a whole bunch of things for this series um, that are good things. Uh, But I think in our culture, in our world, in Longevity, in 2022, have the capacity to take place as central in our lives. Things like the Aussie dream, just having, you know, a nice house and two kids and a dog and being comfortable and having a beer on the weekend. That is like a, a, a central idol in our culture. Things like success, things like ourselves or things like others. There are a whole bunch of these things in our world that are good things, but that we have the tendency to make ultimate things. And maybe it's not so much that we love the wrong things, but we love the right things in the wrong order. We take good things, but we have a disordered view of our loves. Augustine, who is a, um, a bishop from Africa in the 300s, 400s, uh, a long time ago, he had this idea that sin, anything, sin is just disordered loves. That we are just ro- loving the right things but in the wrong order. Our family or our career or our comfort. They're all fine things, they're all good things, but when we make them the top of the list, things go haywire. Idols are Good things made into ultimate things. Gifts made into gods, just like the Israelites took the gifts that they had from Egypt, the golden earrings, and they made it into a god. Idolatry, N.T. Wright says, is always just the perversion of something good. Taking something good and making it something that it was never meant to be, the center of our life. It was never meant to hold that weight. Andy Crouch says this. He says, idols 
at first give you everything and ask for nothing, but in the end, they ask for everything and give you nothing. Idols at first give you everything and ask for nothing, but in the end, they give you nothing and demand everything. Idols cannot hold the gravity of our worship, our attention. They cannot handle us orienting our whole lives around them because if we just chase success, what happens when we retire? If we just chase uh, family life or another person, what happens if something happens to that person? The only thing that can hold the gravity of our worship is Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. Idols will always let you down. And now, when I was young, Australian Idol was big in our households. I, I don't know how long ago that was, but I feel like I was pretty young. And I remember watching those first episodes, those first seasons with like Guy Sebastian and whoever else, Shannon Noll. What a big controversy. Who's going to win? Yeah. But I remember thinking, I don't know how old I was, but I thinking these people, they are going to be superstars. This is, this is going to be huge. These, these Australian idols, they're going to put Australia on the map. But then what eventually happens with Australian Idol in every season since then is what happens when you win Australian Idol is that you get packed away with Mariah Carey and all the other Christmas stuff and you come out for your one gig of the year, which is Carols of the Domain. <laughs> and that's, that's where Australian Idol leads you. Idols always let you down. It's like I was thinking about, you know, the movie Ice Age and there's the squirrel chasing the nut. This is, this is the perfect image of an idol, right? That you just, you, you center your life around this one thing, the nut, and there's like the, the squirrel is always just getting into terrible situations because he's chasing the one nut. And I think idols are like that. They hold our gravity and our tension and everything else begins to fall apart because we become so centered on this one thing. And when he loses the nut, like his whole world breaks down. The nut was never meant to be the center of his attention. You see, worship, following something, attention is just another way to say worship, focus, what we chase after, always requires some sort of sacrifice, always requires us to bring something to the altar of that. And when we are worshiping an idol, success, family, the house, image, followers, whatever it is, we always have to sacrifice a part of ourselves to get that thing. And so when it comes to what we worship, not whether we worship or not, humans are worshipers. We always center our lives around something. When it comes to what we worship, it's really important to what that thing is because it will demand what we sacrifice. We are designed to worship, to chase, to sacrifice, to focus. In the Christian imagination, the only thing that can hold the weight of our worship is God the center of our being, the ground of all being. And Jesus' constant call all through the Gospels and all through the New Testament is really radically and offensively, actually, is his call to his disciples to reorder their lives. So there's a story in Mark chapter 1. The very first chapter of Mark is the first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Mark. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. 
Repent means to turn, like reorient your life, refocus, re-put your attention for the kingdom of God is near. Mark chapter 10, there's a story of a rich guy, a rich young kind of entrepreneur who comes up to Jesus and he asks, how do I have eternal life? How do I get the good life? And Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it away to the poor and come follow me. This was a call to reorder his life, reorder his loves. His loves were disordered. He was a man of great wealth, and he could tell, Jesus could tell, that that had been the top of his list, the top of the order of his loves. And the man couldn't do it. He went away sad. He didn't want to sell his possessions. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I think it's going to be on the screen says this. This is pretty radical. This is like three little tri- a triad of, of things where Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. He says this, 57, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So there's a guy saying, I'll do anything to follow you, Jesus. And he's saying, this, this actually requires sacrifice. There will be things you will forego to follow me. He goes on, 59, he he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. This is a pretty, like, seems like a a reasonable request. Pretty offensive what Jesus says. He says, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Another reasonable request. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This is like a radical call for people to reorder their loves. I don't think Jesus is saying any of these things are bad. These are all good things. Take care of your family go to the funeral of of your father. You know, like it's all really important stuff. But what he's saying is if you order them in the wrong direction, you are not actually living by the kingdom. This is is offensive stuff. And there's a radical call for us to reorder our loves, to put Jesus in his rightful place. Matthew chapter 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He goes on and he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. He says, seek first the kingdom and then all these other things will be added to you. In other words, reorder your loves. Seek first the kingdom and then the other stuff will be added to you. Revelation chapter 3. This is uh, John writing, but he's writing letters to the church in the voice of Jesus from a vision. Revelation 3, verse 15 says, I know the things that you do and that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What's Jesus saying here? saying like, you, you, you are... are you think you've got everything you need. I'm rich. I've got it all together. I've got everything that I wanted. But you don't realize that you're actually missing out on life to the full. He says you're lukewarm. You're serving two masters. 
And I think, you know, when I think about the Central Coast, I think about my own life. One of the great sins of our area is that idea of apathy, that we're like, we're lukewarm. Because when you think about like the culture of the coast, and it's like you just come here for holidays, you come here, retire, you live near the beach, you're just hanging out, you know, you're just living the good life. And there's something about that that I reckon has captured our spirituality as well. That we're just like, yeah, I've got a good cocktail of like disordered loves, you know, like I'll take a little bit of Jesus, I'll come to every second Sunday and, um, you know, like I'll take a little bit of consumerism, a little bit of materialism, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of minimalism on the side, whatever it is, like we just take a little bit of like this cocktail of all different things and we mix them together and we have this like cocktail of disordered loves and we wonder why we're frustrated with life because our loves are in the wrong order. You know, I was thinking about like the history of Long Jetty back in like the 60s and 70s was like, it was like a bustling tourist town. Like everyone would come here, you see the photos like down on the foreshore, everyone's swimming in the lake, which is disgusting, but um, that's what they're doing. I don't know, like the beach is right there, I don't know what they're doing, but, and I wonder if like that has infected part of our spirituality as well, like that this is a tourist town, that we become like spiritual tourists rather than spiritual pilgrims. We come and like we, we dip in on Jesus every now and again, like we add him to the rest of our, our loves in our life rather than actually living our lives following the way of Jesus, being a pilgrim of Jesus, seeking first the kingdom. I'm very aware that like a talk like this gets us antsy because it requires change, right? And it's offensive. Offensive to say that, like, you know, our family shouldn't be our number one priority or that person shouldn't be our number one priority or our health or our career or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that stuff is, is bad at all. It's, it's good things. But none of those things are able to hold the weight of our worship, the gravity of our worship. My mate Sam Harvey, who is a, a pastor in New Zealand, says, following Jesus doesn't work as a hobby. Following Jesus doesn't work as a hobby. When we just have Jesus just on the side of what we're doing, we will be constantly frustrated because his, like, we'll be off kilter. It would just like, it, it just won't work. We'll, we will be like ascribing and hearing all the things about the life and the forgiveness and the healing of Jesus, but we won't, won't actually be walking it out. We're serving too many masters. We've forsaken the first commandment to have no other gods other than him. Deuteronomy 12 is the last verse I'm going to read and then we're going to finish up. So this is a promise to, to Israel. So they've, they've got the commandments after, you know, Moses is up on the mountain. And this is a promise for them as they're coming into this, this new land that God has promised to them. It says this in verse 1, these are the decrees and regulations you must be careful to obey when you live in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must obey them as long as you live. When you drive out the nations that live there, you must destroy all the places where they worship their gods. High on the mountains, up on the hills, under every green tree. Break down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, 
burn their Asherah poles and cut down their carved idols, completely erase the name of their gods. This is a very um, uplifting verse, isn't it? Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship where he, he himself will choose from among all the tribes the place where his name will be honored. What he's talking about is there's going to be a temple, a place, a specific place where you have to go and worship. It doesn't matter where you live, you're going to have to come to this place, this thin place between heaven and earth. That's where you're going to worship. Now, we know since the New Testament that Jesus actually is our place of worship. He is the new temple. John, John calls Jesus the tabernacle. That's the word that's used when he's describing John, uh, Jesus in John chapter 1. That Jesus is the place where we center our lives around, right? Instead of a temple, it's, it's Jesus. Uh, it goes on, verse 6. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and flocks. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God. You will rejoice in all that you've accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. Your pattern of worship will change. Today, all of you are doing as you please because you have not yet arrived in the place of rest, the land your God is giving you as a special possession. But you will soon cross the Jordan and live in the land your God is giving you. When he gives you rest from all your enemies and, living, and you're living safely in the land, you must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, and your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. You must celebrate there in the presence of the Lord your God with your sons and daughters, all your servants, and remember to include the Levites who live in your towns, for they receive no allotment of land among you. This is super aggressive, but what he's calling Israel to do is when you come into this new place, when you come into the life that he's called you to, you've got to cut down the idols that were there before. And what God knew is that when Israel got into the land, they would be tempted to reorder their loves and say, oh yeah, like they have a bit of everything. I'll have a bit of following Yahweh, the God. I'll have a little bit of like the Asherah pole. I'll have a little bit of Baal, some other gods. I'll go up to the high place. I'll, you know, I'll just do a, a bit of everything. A cocktail of disordered loves. But what he's saying is if you want to live in the blessing, if you want to receive rest and celebration and the presence of God, you actually have to reorder your life around the presence of God. And now we're not moving into a country. We haven't been given, you know, it's, 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 it's not a one-for-one -one comparison. But the same thing applies for us who want to follow Jesus, who want to orient our lives around King Jesus. That there are going to be all these other things that, wanna, that want our worship that want our attention. This is a radical call to reorder your loves. So what do we do? Tim Keller has this great three-part process on idols. He says the first step is to just recognize your idols. Recognize your idols. Recognize the things that you are tempted to give sacrifice to, to orient your life around, to chase, to follow. Steve Cuss, who's an Aussie guy, he lives in Colorado, um, but he's big on family systems theory, which is a good, a good, uh, a good thing to, to get your head around. But he, he says this, he says, pay attention when you need something to feel settled. That's likely an idol. When I need something 
to feel settled in life. That's likely an idol. He goes on and says, an idol is anything other than Jesus that you must have to be okay. That brings it a little closer to home, doesn't it? What are the things that I've got to have in life that I'd need to have to be okay, to feel settled? And the reason why this is so important is because once those things are taken away, we become off kilter, we become unsettled. And actually the invitation of Jesus is not to get rid of everything good in our life, no way. The invitation of Jesus is to orient ourselves around him who is always constant, never changing. King of kings, Lord of lords, like the one true and present force and being in the universe. We've got to recognize our idols, the places where we've turned gifts into gods, good things into ultimate things, loving the right things but the wrong order. So that's the first step. That, I think that in itself is a huge step. If we could come away this morning and go, actually, this thing in my life might be an idol. This habit, this person's approval, this career, this way that I spend my money, whatever it is, this thing might be an idol in my life. Recognize that the second step is to repent, to turn. Repent is a, like a scary churchy word, but it just means like to change your mind, change direction. Literally, the translation is to turn around, to repent. Our loves are so prone to getting jumbled. And maybe you're in this room and you've never actually decided to follow Jesus, you know, and you've been living, you've been trying to chase the good life, you've been trying to work out how to live life to the full, and you've just been frustrated. Maybe this morning is a time to repent and reorder your life around Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. So we recognize, we repent, and the last one is that we replace with worship. We cut down the Asherah poles, we cut down the idols to size, to where they belong. Set up a new center of worship in our hearts.